1: Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony.
2: And this is Andrew.
1: And this is episode 310, BGG Hotness for January 2021 with our good friend Andrew Parks. We'd like to thank all of our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode All right, everyone, we are back and we are talking about the new, the hotness, everything that's happened on Board Game Geek, the games that you want to get to the table, and especially our good friend, Andrew Parks, who's joined us this week. Welcome,
2: Andrew. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for having me on.
1: We're really happy to have you. So why don't you introduce yourself to the audience? I know many of our gamers out there have played all of your games, but
2: they may have not known who you were. Sure. Yeah, my, I uh, have a game design company called Quixotic Games, which has been around since 2003. And uh, I've worked for a lot of different publishers uh, as a designer. I've worked for WizKids and for Z-Man Games and for Stronghold Games, and uh, always as a, uh, as a contractor. And now I've started publishing my own games over the past few years through Kickstarter, Dungeon Alliance. Uh, we've now started publishing Core Worlds. And we've done some popular licenses like Star Trek Frontiers and Harry Potter and a bunch of fun games like that.
1: Absolutely. And games that we've talked about over the many years, especially Star Trek Attack Wing, especially way back in the day where we were kind of fighting the meta each and every day to uh, save the universe. Dealing with the Borg.
2: (laughs) (laughs) The broken Borg.
1: Well, that's that's the Borg. The Borg have to be broken or otherwise they're not the Borg. (laughs) That's correct. (laughs) So we will be talking with Andrew throughout the episode, and he's going to be bringing us some exciting details about his new and upcoming Kickstarter and projects that he has in the works. All right, before we go into all that, and especially before we go into our feature review, which once again, we'll be talking about the hot games that are on Board Game Geek, and our guru of gaming, Anthony, is going to go through the list and let you know why those games are up there, why those games are hot, Why you should pick those games up, and of course, why you should be getting those games to the table. All right, Anthony, so that's what's going on with us, but we have a little other, I guess, minor little TV show, so to speak, called BGA Live. Yes, sir,
0: we do. Uh, BGA Live runs every Wednesday, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, same time as this. So if you're watching this right now and you're free on Wednesday, we're doing it again. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Damn! exactly yeah but on wednesday we play a game or more precisely our friend russ and his crew get together and they play a game and we talk about that game so we're going to teach you the game we're going to run through it we're going to call it um we have a blast every week this week we're doing the big one this is the one i wanted to do since day one spirium and you say how is that the big one well it's one of my favorite games and nobody knows anything about it so it's the big one to me. so if you want to hear me geek out about this game that is really difficult to get to the table but happens to be online and easy to play uh join us on wednesday i'm super excited for it hopefully our gamers are as well um maybe i'll have to hop in and play with them i don't know
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah anthony's favorite game of all time we've been talking about it for all time and now we'll actually be getting it to the table so again if you haven't played spirium you should play Spirium. And Anthony will show you why Spirium is one of his favorite games of all time. And of course, we will have some really tight competition. If you haven't been able to join us on BGA Live for our broadcast, don't forget, each and every episode that we do is recorded on Twitch on the Board Game Arena channel where you could listen to or watch all of these different episodes of Board Gamers Anonymous and BGA Live. And I'll tell you, I've personally been shocked by how close these games have been these competitions have been at the table and they've been a lot of fun so if you're missing a little bit of sports right now i guarantee you bga live is going to give you the really nail-biting end game conditions that you're looking for when you got to get those games to the table so especially join us for those and uh, hopefully you'll join us live on bga live all right, Anthony, so that's what's going on with us. That's what's going on with BJ Live. But most importantly, what's going on with our listeners and our viewers? What's our question of the week?
0: Yeah, the question of the week this week uh, is another fun one. What's your limit for number of hours playing a single game? Uh, I actually saw this one on Reddit, so I won't take credit. But I will take credit for that rhyme. <laughs> uh, so uh, that one was up on Reddit, and uh, we got a lot of good answers to this one. And some confusion, but the idea here is how long will you sit and play one game? Not how many times will you play it or how many hours in a row will you game? One single game, right? 12 hours, 14 hours, 20 hours. How long will you just go to town on one game? So we had a lot of good answers here. Um, First up was our buddy, Dave. Uh, He says, I am a beast. I will play all night and all day. I felt like 1830 was too long for what it is with a few plays that were eight plus hours. Um, Also plays Dominant Species for four to six hours and enjoys them thoroughly rebellion war of the ring both take a long time to play enjoys those um in general dave enjoys two to three hour euro games uh so we know dave we love you for it <laughs> <laughs> we got drew says no limit uh, enjoyed his 10 hour games of twilight imperium haven't yet played a game over multiple days but would be up for anything if the game keeps me invested so drew's in for anything We've got. Tommy says, uh, generally speaking, three hours is the upper limit, uh, but two or less is preferred. So not everybody on our Facebook page is is up for the ten hour games. <laughs> uh, <laughs> as an exception, if the game can be left on the table, then a game of any length is fine. Uh, we played a five hour game of Chocolate Factory on Tabletopia over two evenings last week. And then uh, one last one here. Uh, Darren borrows a quote from Roger Ebert. No good board game is too long and no bad board game is short enough. So I thought that was a, a great way to end
2: that.
0: Absolutely. Um, what about you, Andrew? What's how long will you sit and play any a single game?
2: <laughs> I, I'll I have no upper limit as long as the people I'm playing with are fun to play with and know how to move along. Um, you know, if there isn't a lot of downtime. Like I was subjected to a game of Axis and Allies recently and it's a great game. But sometimes if you're playing with the wrong people, you could, I watched an entire movie between one turn and the next. Oh, no, So to me, oh, that's like, <laughs> like it was a two hour <laughs> film. It wasn't one of those short little featurettes. Yeah. And uh, so people have to be thinking of their turn. Nothing drives me crazier when someone's just staring blankly at the board. And then when it comes back to them, they're like, oh, what, what do I got to do? Well, uh, what? what? Like they've not even been paying attention. They've just been staring blankly at the board. So if everyone's sort of thinking of what they want to do the next turn, I can play any length of time. Also, there are certain games that I can't play with people if, I don't know what I can say on your show. I shouldn't say anything bad. Um, If they're those kind of (laughs) players, like a player whose only job is to inflict agony on people. Because to me, I really want to play a game and have a good time and have fun. And if people just continuously go out of their way to share the misery, um, to me, that's not worth playing for 12 hours. But if, you know, even, you know, obviously if it's a war game, that's different. But if we're playing a game where we're sort of building things up and, and, you know, we have the opportunity maybe to parlay and whatever, you know, I just, I want to have those good vibes throughout. I don't want to have this sort of nastiness. So with all of those things out of the way, I could play forever.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm with you. I, I, like I've played, I think the upper limit for me was like 11 hours. One of our TI4 games went 11 hours and that was great. But then I had another TI4 game that was like maybe seven and a half, eight hours. And it was horrible because a lot of those things you mentioned happened where you had one player who's just like, I'm out, you know, three hours into the game. I'm just going to spend the rest of the game cheesing everybody and just be that guy.
2: Yeah, like, this is, I don't want to do this for five hours. I don't yeah, want to Yeah, exactly. It does. I mean, yeah. I'll, I'll play a game sometimes and I'll be like, this is a really fun game, but I'll never play it with this person, this person, or this person yeah. because there's just too much <laughs> screwage in the game. Um, whereas I'll play another game and I'll play it with anybody, you know? So part of that has to do, it's not really the player's fault. It's the designer's fault. As a designer, I know that's one of the cardinal sins of a designer is to blame the player. So I try not to do that. But when I'm a player, I can blame the player. Yeah. <laughs> when it's not one of my games, I can blame the player. But when I'm the designer, I, I'm not allowed to blame the player because it's technically my fault for allowing that kind of behavior in the game.
0: Yeah, that's a tricky line. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. What about you, Chris? Anything that you've played <laughs> for half a day?
1: Well, I mean, obviously, if you do the conventions, you understand that the challenge is real. That you get there, you paid for the convention, you paid for the hotel, you paid for the plane you're going to just suck every minute out of the convention as possible until they drag or kick you out of the building. So we've done that. I mean, I've certainly done that. Anthony's <laughs> like, I want to go home. I'm like, there's five more minutes in the main hall. we got to play another game. Let's play <laughs> Flick'em Up or something. I don't care. And But I, I do think that my limit came when we did our first Extra Life event. And this was way back when, when Myriad Games... Had, was in Staten Island. And Andrew, you might remember this back then in the Staten Island location, the game store out there. And we did a 25-hour, because that year, of course, on top of everything else, that extra life, that 24-hour gameplay year, the changing the clocks, so it went back an hour, so we played for 25 hours. But I think it was something in the realm of like 14-some-odd hours. I started to hallucinate a little bit. Yeah, and- you did. <laughs> and uh i was just like eating ice and i was like i i can't no no my brain (laughs) so i'm gonna go with about 14 hours and then eventually uh break but i I, again i think it's the bigger game that you mentally more have to invest in the longer you can play it's more of a marathon situation when you have to break a game down pop another game up that's gonna wear you down in the chat we're getting a lot of hits here quote over here and my husband and i play mega city with a bunch of people for 12 plus hours. That's pretty huge. Whoa. Uh, another someone else said, two hours is pretty well my limit, need to play so many games, can't spend an entire day playing one game. Yeah, I, I could hear you. Me is 14 when we play, like you said, those massive games. Uh, obviously, people here are talking about two hour limit, and obviously, until they can't sit anymore. So the longer games, the longer, I, I guess, time that you can play. So yeah, Twilight Imperium,
2: or some of those super heavy Euros. Yeah. I think 14 is <laughs> about it. Yeah, and downtime is a big factor as well. When you don't have a lot of downtime, the hours will just melt away and you won't even realize it. Um, it's Because true. you're always engaged. When you have those long turns, that's, I think, when you begin to notice how long you've been sitting there.
1: Yeah, you do feel it at that point. And that's really one of those situations where it's like watching a good movie. If the movie's four hours long, it just, it just flows and you never really experience the lag, but... Yeah, especially if you have those players who kind of break up that that kind of situation. All right, so that's everything that's going to our listeners and our viewers on Twitch. Again, if you are watching on Board Game Arena, jump over to Twitch because we'd love to have you join the conversation. Add to the chat and have some fun with everybody at our table. All right, Anthony, so that's what's going on with us. Obviously, we want everyone to join our social media so they can answer the question of the week for next week, but until then, Let's get on to the games that we want to hit the table. Let's talk about our acquisition disorders. All right, yeah. So we're going to kick things off with a special acquisition disorder. We'll let
0: Andrew go first, because we know you have a huge, huge Kickstarter coming up in the next week. And uh, I'm sure it's devouring all of your time. Yeah,
2: I'm in, uh, as I explained to my family, I'm in pre-Kickstarter hell. And then in a week, (laughs) I'll be in Kickstarter hell. And when it's all over, I'll be in post-Kickstarter hell. So it's always, eventually I'll recover from all this hell. But no, I mean, it's so much, you know, people who've, who've done these crowdfunders, they know that really it's a 24-hour job for weeks. And so I've been preparing for this particular Kickstarter for a year. We're very excited about it. It's it's It kind of came out of nowhere that we were going to be able to suddenly uh, get to do Core Worlds games again. And that's basically where this all started was, actually, when I talked to you guys on your show, and was it February or March around there? we had done sort of a surprise announcement that Quixotic Games, my company, was going to be taking over the publishing rights to Core Worlds. We had been working for several years on a massive empire-building game called Core Worlds Empires, which is a standalone sequel game to the original Core World. It takes place after the events of Core Worlds. Um, in the original Core Worlds, you're a bunch of barbarian kingdoms on the edge of the galaxy beyond the frontier of, of the Of the galactic realm and you and other kingdoms start attacking the main realm until you get all the way to the center of the galaxy where the core worlds are in this game you've now basically split up the galaxy uh, amongst yourselves and you're trying to make the greatest empire um, out of those different empires so each player has a core world they have several other worlds and they're trying to manage resources, and it uses a worker placement mechanism. So it has a little bit of deck building in it. You are acquiring cards and so on, but it's mostly a worker placement game. Um, There's a lot of things that we've added to it that we haven't seen in a lot of worker placement games, such as having combat, having a combat system so that you can uh, gather at a particular space and fight over who's going to own it. Conversion of workers into specific identities, um, which has become much more popular in... Uh, worker placement games. Um, so this is a big game, uh, lots of pieces, and so there's no way I could publish it without t- using crowdfunding. Um, along the way, while, we were at, while we've been talking about this game for the past year, um, we mentioned in the fall that we were also going to do the Core Worlds, what we called at the time the Core Worlds solo deck. There's been such a thriving community for solo Core Worlds, even though neither Stronghold Games nor I has ever created an official solo version of Core Worlds before now. And I I definitely would contend that the popularity of Core Worlds over the past decade has only been maintained because so much of the solo community continues to talk about Core Worlds all the time. So we said, all right, we really need to do this. We need something else extra. We always like to give people who do a crowdfunding extra so that they get something different than if they just bought the game retail later. So we give a free copy of this solo deck, but the solo deck has taken on a life of its own since then. And so we've, we've called it uh, core world's nemesis and it's very exciting. We've had some reviewers already look at it. They're going to be putting their reviews up this week and we're very excited about it. I, I played the other fan made solo games. Um, our game is very different than those, but I wanted to get the essence of why those games were so popular. And I think that we've done a good job of trying to capture in a bottle what it was that those fan designers did to Core Worlds. And we tried to make sure that we did some of that too. So Core Worlds Nemesis and Core Worlds Empires will both be releasing uh, on the Kickstarter February the second at twelve noon. So two two twenty one at twelve noon. Someone said to me, Are you sure it's not two two twenty one at twelve oh two oh two? I was like, I'm not I'm not that clever so it's just at 12 noon Eastern Standard Time so we're very excited about it uh, we're, we actually are very close to being done we, we're doing our final interviews like tonight and uh, there's a bunch of reviews coming out this week um, so we're gonna add all those to the Kickstarter page and uh, and then then we'll be ready to go and we have our stretch goals lined up um, and we are only going to reveal a couple of them but in the beginning but we have a whole bunch figured out if we get if we're that blessed that we get to do that so uh, yeah, that's when the big magic day begins, February second. That's awesome.
0: So you mentioned that you've been working on like the, the new version Empires for a while. Like, when did this? What was the genesis of the of the idea for you? Was this something that's been like rattling around in the back since you were working on the original game, or like where did that come up?
2: That's a great question, and it's it's really years in the making. Back uh, with Stronghold Games, uh, Stephen had said to me at one point. Um, Stephen Bonacore, who owns, he's now retired, but he owns Stronghold Games and and founded it. And he said to me, can we do like a board game version of Core Worlds so that we're doing the same story essentially, but we're doing it with more pieces. And uh, we, made, we, we talked about miniatures and those kinds of things. And so we went around back and forth and back and forth. And as things happen in life, I would work on it, then get pulled away to something else, work on it, get pulled away to something else. And eventually I got the idea, you know what? As I'm putting this together, we already have this story. Core Worlds, if you play Core Worlds with both of the main expansions, it already gives you a whole epic story. You don't need the extra pieces. There's nothing simplistic about Core Worlds, especially if you're playing with both expansions. So I said, well, maybe thematically we should be moving past that story and into the next story. So I talked to Steven about it, and he got excited about it. And so I was working on it for him, you know. And then eventually it got to the point where, you know, uh, about a year and a half ago, I was talking to Steven about it again. And of course, things had changed a little bit because uh, Indie Games had purchased Stronghold Games. And so it seemed to be the case that Steven was sort of heading towards retirement and uh, Indie Games wasn't sure necessarily that this was the game for their catalog right now. So I said, you know what, maybe we should start talking about us taking over Core Worlds publishing rights again, and so that's kind of how it all came about. So, but the idea of the game itself of of originally being a big board game and then moving to this game uh, had to do with the fact that I felt like Core Worlds already had that complete story. The other the other thing that really influenced me was when I played Star Wars Rebellion. I loved the idea of how they used the standees and how all of those different pieces, in some ways, were like workers with those unique identities. And I was so inspired by that. I got away from having a game with miniatures and that's one of the, we have the game comes with 36 standees of all your different workers and them having different identities and having special powers and being individual people. I was very inspired by that game and that sort of helped evolve the direction of the game and its mechanisms.
0: Yeah. It's amazing how like just in the last couple of years, how the the worker placement genre has kind of evolved beyond just take a worker, take an action. It's yeah. All these different layers on top of it. Like the way you described that, I'm like, yeah, no, that sounds great. Like it sounds like a lot of other games that have been experimenting with what you can do when you put that person out there. Like what do they actually do? What do they become?
2: Right. And what do they do differently than another worker? You know, you, you, you have Age of Empires, which is now Age of Discovery. And they had those diff- They may that may have been one of the first games that had the different workers. They didn't have sure. personalized identities, but they had – uh, sort of like roles, so you had the missionary and the soldier and so on. Um, and, but after I played Rebellion, which is not a worker placement game, it's mostly you know a territory game and and it's a lot of other things. But it has that sort of feeling of identity with those standees, and so that's where I said, oh, I've always wanted to do something with identity in a in a worker placement game. This is really inspiring. So um, so that's what we did, and so there's all these different characters. You have a lot of generic characters but then you can upgrade them. So rather than increasing the quantity of your workers, we call them ambassadors, you increase the quality of them. So everyone, you'll get more ambassadors as you play, but everyone gets the same number of ambassadors at all time. One of my least favorite things in worker placement is this jockeying for who gets the extra worker first. And and then that creates sort of this um, inflation of, we all need to get that worker now. And I've never really enjoyed that part of worker placement. So. Uh, instead it's we can all have the same number of workers but i'm going to invest in improving my workers
1: that's great too because usually it's more workers more workers until the fact that the game takes like three hours so yeah. investing in the workers and making them better as far as what they can do and how they mm-hmm. could do it is great it's a, and then definitely kind of builds to the story that there's more story if my workers if my units out there just develop and grow i mean that's that's dealing with the technology and the exploration
2: so very thematic Yeah, thank you. And the immersion as well, that sense of this is not just a worker. This is, you know, this is Empress Alona or this is the infamous Baron Victor or whatever. You know, another thing that had originally given me this idea of one day wanting to add identity was when Agricola came out, which doesn't do that. But then on Board Game Geek, there were these labels that that fans made where you could stick them on those round discs. And this is the dad and this is the mom. This is the child. And when I first saw someone playing with that, I said, ooh, what if that really was the dad and the mom and the child and they did things differently? So that was one of the big inspirations for this also way back when Agricola first came out. In comparison to like Lords of
1: Waterdeep where
2: you're just sending random
1: cubes to their death without ever seeing them again. (laughs) So it's like, here's a party. There's purple cubes and orange cubes, which are actually warriors and wizards. And yet they have no identity, nothing to them. And you don't care about them and they're disposable. So here- not disposable and therefore you do feel like more invested in the game. And so when they go out to the board, that really is a representative of you and not just a one and done or kind of going to evaporate. So no, I love that. It's excellent.
2: And you get to make fun of people too. Like you have this powerful warlord, uh, ambassador who's great at like conquering neutral worlds and yet the way things have turned out you're using them to like go and get a couple energy points for you and everybody like me oh albrecht what are you doing here getting energy what did you do wrong like you know so the idea is that i'm i'm sometimes your workers being sent somewhere that's not very efficient for them and uh so we like to make fun of those workers when that happens because <laughs> i know i'm on i'm on energy chore today so you know <laughs> that's great awesome
0: all right. So that, yeah, that comes out next week. Uh, I know you have one other thing that you'd mentioned to us that's coming out this week, unrelated to this Kickstarter, right? So- yeah. Just,
2: just coincidentally um, we had, when we did Dungeon Alliance, which is the, before this, the big game that we had self-published, we were always talking about doing a web comic with it to sort of support all the characters and the storyline. And so we did, and we had two different web comics. One of them finished, one of them is still in progress. And so we tried to do a Kickstarter over the summer for a graphic novel it was a little too ambitious, so it didn't succeed. Making the graphic novel wasn't the issue. We had wanted to raise enough money to do another webcomic because they're very expensive to do because you're paying artists and so on. So, but we said to the backers, you know what? We are still going to do the graphic novel eventually. You know, we'll do a limited run and whatever. And so that we just finally got that in, and we're going to be putting it into our store on Wednesday, the Dungeon Alliance store. Uh, that's kind of exciting for us. It's not a game, but it's something that sort of supports the game and the characters, and it makes the characters in Dungeon Alliance come to life in a way. And we've had people who read the web comics say, oh, I'm going to run that specific party now, because now I know kind of who they are. So I'd love to do more of the web comics. They, they are expensive to do, though. So I kind of justified it as a kind of a marketing thing, and it was, but, but it's more a labor of love. It was a real passion. I've always wanted to do comic books, so... Anyway, that graphic novel is 70 pages, and it will be in the Dungeon Alliance store on Wednesday. So if you're interested in that sort of thing, uh, we only have a limited number. of I only printed 50 for the first print run, so we'll see how it does. And um, if it sells quickly, then maybe we'll print some more. I'm going to wait until the Canterbury gets a graphic novel.
1: Yes, the Canterbury, absolutely. Yeah, because, you know, surprisingly enough, that's, that's how we all met. And actually a couple of people in the chat here... Uh, my friend Charles out there, we actually played Canterbury with him at that Kickstarter reveal event. So yes. yeah, when Canterbury the graphic novel comes out, I'm in. I'm just saying.
2: I think one of the most popular comic book characters of all time will be King Ethelbert. Everyone wonders what's going on with King Ethelbert. King Ethelbert, why are you building Canterbury, King Ethelbert? You know, that will be the comic book, and uh, it will sell zero copies. Well, maybe I'll sell one to you, Chris. You sell one to <laughs> me? That's all, that's all I care <laughs> That's all that counts. That's right, yeah. <laughs> Look, we're personalizing meatballs. We might as well
1: personalize players. What is it that you really want? That's right. That's I've been right. waiting for the final wrap of the story. How am I supposed to get through the game until I know what happens?
2: And that was our first published game, of course. So there you go. So uh, on Kick- that was our first Kickstarter also.
1: All right. So there's so much goodness going out there. Thank you, Andrew, for giving us the update there. Please keep an eye on, as we do each and every week. Two of these great products will be coming out. So you want to keep an eye out for all of them. Check them out. Back them on Kickstarter. And they will be going live on February 2nd. 2021 core world empires core world's nemesis all right anthony so what about you what's your acquisition disorder this week
0: all right i'm not publishing a game so i'll keep it i'll keep it simple
1: (laughs) maybe next week anthony maybe next week next week i'll get it
0: um yeah i got this email actually a couple days ago from plan b games uh they have uh, a a new one from reiner canizia coming out called equinox and Uh like most uh, announced Reiner Knietzsche projects in this day and age. It's a remake of an older game, uh, in this case, Colossus Arena. And, you know, he has hundreds of games. So maybe you've played it, maybe you haven't, maybe you don't remember. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it, it's very beautiful looking. Like it's got this, you know, fantasy style, like um, deer on the, or buck on the cover, and all the different artwork. It's just very colorful and all these like different animals. And what you're doing is you're all these different creatures kind of gather together in the forest and then they're trying to write themselves into a storybook interesting theme um and then you're betting on them so it's a betting game at the end of the day it's betting oh. and Um, uh, to try to figure out which of them are going to go in and then you know managing your hand and kind of manipulating the tableau to, to see how to get these animals into the storybook that they're trying to get into so um it looks like an interesting abstract game. It looks very pretty. It looks like it probably won't be crazy expensive. So, uh, Plan B games in general, I'm, I'm on board. They, in the release, they mentioned, like, in the tradition of Century, uh, Spice Road and that series. So, maybe there's other versions of this coming out. I think there's multiple covers or maybe multiple versions of this because um, there is a, a green title and, like, a purple title. Uh, but... I don't know. It looks interesting. It looks cute. And uh, I'm going to keep my eye on it. Equinox. Very cool. Yeah, very
1: pretty. I like the update here. Really nice. All right. Well, let me talk about a game talking about updates here. I want to talk about a current Kickstarter that's happening and hurting me in every way possible. This is (laughs) Castles of Mad King Ludwig, Collector's Edition. Because clearly suburbia was not enough suffering for the masses out there. So let me give the ever so brief list of kind of, you know, gameplay review as far as castles is concerned. You're building a castle, and as the architect or as many architects, you are bidding for the different rooms that you can add to your castle. And of course, since it's a castle for the mad King, it's quite a crazy castle of different rooms that line up. And based upon how they line up, victory points will happen because that's just generally how life works. When you build a house, victory points just pop out of the walls. So I have this game. I enjoy this game a great deal. I have the expansion, Secrets, which is essential, essential for Mad King because it honestly doesn't look like much of a castle unless you have the moats. I'm going to be honest. Like, unless you can kind of have a floor plan that actually looks like a castle. eh. But nonetheless, the game is great. The expansion is, again, essential, so it's always good to have. And then Ted Alsbach thought, hey, you know what? Let me release an edition <laughs> that's more or less going to break the internet. So, Castle's of Mad King Ludwig. I could see Anthony cannot fit all of the pictures and promos here because this has new artwork, premium components, two expansions, game trays, and a colossal edition. So... Just when you thought your table at home was big enough. In fact, it is not. Not even close. So what do you get with this? Again, the Game Trays, the Game Trays company, again, has been doing great jobs putting all the components in a, in a box that actually fits. And that's really helpful, especially when you get one of these massive additions. The artwork is upgraded, which is good. The artwork previously wasn't bad, but obviously it wasn't as detailed. They're adding two expansions here obviously the polish expansions that most people can not get their hands on in the u.s has some additional buildings and some additional bonuses they also have the decrees which will allow a drafting system in which you'll be able to get a special player bonus that kind of you know makes the players a little asymmetrical throughout the game but also it's open knowledge so you can kind of keep people from running away with the game in addition to that because it's a giant kickstarter game you have to have something that is giant and in this game, it's towers. Why? I don't know. Everything else in the game is two-dimensional. There are three-dimensional painted towers in this game. Now, if you haven't seen these before, they're very similar to Tapestry, the the um, the game that came out about the civilization building, where you have these kind of big little capital buildings. Well, that's pretty much here. So basically what's going to happen here is... Each of these rooms that are connected to one of these towers will score you a special victory point condition at the end of the game. So basically, these towers are just there to kind of hide the point total bonus for a moment. But nonetheless, it's really cool miniatures. So, yeah, uh, there's new uh, scoring boards that's going to be necessary in order to hold all this stuff. And that's excellent. They revise the rules a bit. There are upgrades in this game. And of course there are. And just like any Kickstarter, there are metal coins Even if you don't need metal coins, there are metal coins in the game. And finally, I want to talk about the Colossal Upgrade. So they actually made the tiles bigger. So if you ever played the Castles game, it does eat up a lot of table because you're building four tableaus of castles. And now the Colossal Edition has rooms that are about four times the size of each of the normal tiles. So... I don't know what the calculations are for this. Bézier Games have not released the photos. So, you know, if you do see this campaign up there, ask them to release the photos. That's what we want. (laughs) What table will this fit on? Because I need to know. I can't back this unless I know I can get it on a reasonable table. So, yeah. And in fact, they just recently added a new backing goal, which has colossal motes which is $200. So you can back everything at the $200 limit, or you can go just back to the normal co- co- Colossal Collectors. It's not the Colossal Edition. It's still big. It's the Collector's Edition's 100 the Super Colossal with everything in its 200 I never knew I thought I would see a day like this, but here we are. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I just don't know what to do, and I would... Dear God, please stop. Because... <laughs> I don't know if I could afford this. I don't know if I would fit on the table. I don't know if I could store this. I don't know anymore. The, the, everything's done.
2: Cats and dogs living together. I don't know. I don't know. Please, dear God, help me. Can <laughs> you just, you could play it on the floor if you really needed to, you know. It sounds like that's, that kind that's... of a game. That could happen. <laughs> don't give me ideas, Andrew.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, five minutes left. I could play it on the floor. Andrew was right. <laughs>
0: I've, I've never been so happy to be on the outside of a game where I'm just like, eh, this one's not for me. Oh, good. I don't have to buy this.
1: <laughs> it's true. So we had the huge version of Suburbia. Obviously, there's, uh, there's been other huge versions, right? Uh, Takenoko that the chat's talking about. Takedo, um is, is a big version out there. Um, obviously, I have the super version of Small World that was way back in the day. You know, my challenge with this is obviously, first, the price, but obviously, second, honestly can you store this can you bring this to game night can you get this to the table it's a great game i really do enjoy it so very much but i don't know like i don't know the utility of these games at a certain point when they just do become so over 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 produced and usually that's a good thing there's never a bad thing to it but it's getting a little scary now at this point yeah So that's our acquisition disorders. Hopefully you have enough room on the floor to play all of these wonderful games. But let's get onto the games that we got to the table or in Andrew's case, to the floor. And we'll let you know if those games are a buy and you should run out and pick those games up. If those games are a play and you should play them as soon as possible. If those games are a dodge and you should avoid them at all costs because clearly you do not need to take a second mortgage on your home. Or if those games the dreaded burn and... They're just too big for words and going to cause an implosion in the universe. All right, Anthony, uh, what do we have up for this week? Yeah, so uh, Andrew, as our as our guest, I figured I would let you
0: go first. I know you mentioned a couple games that you've been playing with the family, right?
2: Yeah, my, uh, my daughter Sarah was home for Christmas, so uh, we sat down and played some games. One of her big uh, Christmas gifts uh, was Pandemic Legacy Season Zero. Uh, we had played... Uh, season one and season two and uh, enjoyed them very much. And we're very excited about the theme of season zero and we've only been, we've only played the prologue and the January month and uh, really uh, enjoyed it very, very much. It's very different. You're not fighting a disease, you're fighting to prevent a disease in this one. So you're dealing with communist agents and there's a lot of great story and potential role-playing if you're that kind of a player um, there's also, they've included this insane thing, and none of this stuff is a, is a spoiler, I'm being very careful, but one of the things that you see right away when you open up the box is you can have different identities for your characters, and each identity has a different disguise, and they've got these transparent uh labels uh that you can put over your like mustaches and hats and make the craziest none of it has any gameplay value whatsoever they stay established that in because we were like uh you know what's going to happen here with uh, are we going to be asked about what we're wearing no it has nothing to do with the game it's just for fun and you have this little passport that looks just like an actual passport and you can show your character with these ridiculous disguises on that you've put together um but uh no it is a really fun game so far, it's our favorite. I mean, we've only played a couple of sessions. Each each of them has had something very different. This one seems so far to be the most streamlined, which makes sense because it's the third one. Um, so, yeah, we, we've enjoyed it so far. We can't wait to keep playing it. The other game that we've played once uh, is Dune Imperium and uh, loved it. I'm a huge Dune fan. My daughter doesn't know anything about Dune. But she still very much enjoyed it, and this was of interest to me, sp- particularly because there's there's some mechanical similarities to what we were doing with Core Worlds Empires, right? You've got a, a worker placement game, and they use deck building as a way of granting identity to the different workers. So that was really cool, um, and uh, really, and they also have a bit of combat. You know, the the mechanisms are all different than what we did for Core Worlds Empires, but they did some things thematically that we were thinking of on the same high level so that was kind of cool for me to play and i love dune so much it's the first real book i read i read it in eighth grade in spite of the fact there's all those sex scenes and whatever i was like whoa i'm reading a grown-up book (laughs) uh but uh it has a special place in my heart so uh, i love the dune imperium i can't wait to play it again um but then my life got taken over by the kickstarter so i haven't been able to play as much as i'd like <laughs> yeah so. but uh, i highly recommend both of those games just from my first impressions of them um i'll get more deeply into them hopefully soon
1: does the collector's edition come with real spice andrew are we able to uh, i don't know
2: but i did i did get the collector's pieces there are miniatures that that you can get they don't come i don't have them yet in other words when you pre-ordered you could pre order these and then in March you're gonna get miniatures and all kinds of things. And even having not played the game, I got them because I knew I was gonna love having them. So yeah. uh, so but yeah, the real spice that, that helps you win other games. Just take a little <laughs> melange and you That's can right. sort of fold space while you're playing. It's awesome. Hey
1: Andrew. Your eyes are growing blue your eyes are growing really blue here. I don't I think you should stop playing
2: the game. It's been fifteen I'm hours. Looking man. At, I'm looking at the universe. So <laughs> no, it's it's very, very clever. It's well done. It has a nice way they deal with the Solari and the Spice and all that. It's very well done. Very cool.
0: Yeah, this is one I uh like when you were describing uh your new game, I was like, Oh yeah, there's a lot of games right now that are kind of using similar ideas with the the way influencing the worker placement with the deck building. Um Yeah, this is one I actually got in. I haven't had a chance to play it because I have to convince my wife that she wants to play this. But (laughs) I'm looking forward to it. I'm probably going to get that solo version to the table at some point in the next couple weeks. I'm very excited for it. All
1: right, Anthony, what do you have up for us this week?
0: All right, let me kick mine up here. Uh, Bonfire is the most recent Stefan Feld game. Uh, I'm the... Well, I, I would say I'm a Stefan Feld guy, but I think we both are. But I have more of them on my shelf. Um, <laughs> so I just, I buy these by default and then I tell you if they're any good or not. Um, this one is, so there were two released in, in the fall. There was Castles of Tuscany, which I reviewed a few episodes ago, maybe two, three months. And that was fine, but not great. And I don't know. I, I enjoyed it, but I didn't love it. Um, Bonfire, however, feels like more of a return to like 2013-2014 Stefan Feld games, right? It's big, it's sweeping, there's bits everywhere, there's lots of interconnected systems, there's lots of ways to score points. Um, It reminded me, in bits and pieces of, like, Luna, some little bits of, like, Aquasphere. The theme is completely random, but it's fun because it's different, right? It's not Mm -hmm. weird or... I mean, it is weird, but it's not, like, weird in a bad way, nor is it... Just trading stuff in the Mediterranean again, or you know, colonialism uh, in some form. It's your gnomes trying to light bonfires to hopefully then relight the master bonfire or something like that. Like even having played it, I'm like I can't quite track it. But if you look at the cover, you see all the bonfires there, and you see you know the the priest holding their arms out. That's pretty much the theme is. It's weird. Um, (laughs) In terms of gameplay, though. what you're basically doing is you have your little player board and you're going to take these puzzle pieces. Um, whenever you run out of actions that you can take, you, you'll take one off and you place it down. And then that's going to activate some combination of matching symbols on your board. And then those are going to be resources that you get. You then use those resources on future turns to take action, take turns um, or actions on those turns. So the actions you take with the resources you generated are to move your ship to an island. So you have this big map-like thing with these different islands that have um these tokens on them you can receive a task from the island by spending resources that you just got Um, you can invite a guardian to of light into your city so these are little meeples with their arms out and they're going to move around this track at the top of your uh individual city and you get resources as they move around but also if you can put the pieces in place which i can't remember exactly what they're called but if you put the pieces in place that allow them to go to the bonfire you score points for that so you there's lots of steps involved in getting those guardians to the bonfire but that's a good way to score a lot of points um the procession of guardians that's how you get your resources uh, by moving them around adding a landscape tile to your city uh this is how you're going to make those processions happen. So that's how you build the track around the, the board. So you're actually choosing what goes on that track, which is kind of cool. And recruiting a gnome. So these are cards. Some of them have special abilities that work throughout the game, and some of them are point scoring cards. The point scoring cards are limited. There's like a tableau of them to start the game. As people take them, they go away. So it's tricky because you score those points when you take the card. So it's not endgame game scoring. It's you're taking that card, you score it right away, and then nobody else can get it. So you might take it early because you're like, well, I could score like four points off of it, but if I wait, you're going to score like seven. So I'll just take it and get my four. Um, And then there's other various things. You can find support at the last bonfire or game portals and resources, all sorts of stuff. So it feels like a Stefan Feld game. There's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of things to track. It's not super complicated. It does take a little bit of time to set up. It's a little fiddly like any of the best Stefan Feld games. Um, the solo ver- version of the game is uh good not amazing but good but in considering a lot of his earlier games didn't have that i'm just happy that it's there uh for me it's a, it's a strong play i don't it's difficult to go straight to calling it a buy because he has so many other games and it just for me it jumped into like the top of the middle tier it's very good it's not great and i own a bunch of stuff so i don't know how often it'll hit the table compared to you know some of my all-time favorites of his, um, like Cow or um, Castles of Burgundy. But it's really, really solid. So you have been waiting for a game that's a little more, you know, organized and streamlined. It feels like one of those older Stefan Fell games. So Castles of Tuscany was very light and straightforward, kind of simplifying um, what we got out of Castles of Burgundy. Or we had games like Carpe Diem, which is amazing, but it's definitely a lighter, simpler game. Um, this is more. There's a lot more to it. It takes a couple hours. So. I do recommend it. That's Bonfire.
1: Yeah, this was obviously something that was on on my acquisition to sort of list quite some time ago. And to have a felled game that has this kind of artwork and this kind of like intricate gameplay was something that was exciting. And then as you mentioned, like the theme is not really there for some reason. And I'm surprised that they went to the lengths that they did to kind of create that kind of mythos. And it just doesn't thematically follow through but I don't know. It's a feld. It's a it's a euro. It's it's one of those kind of games there. So I'm a little disappointed with that because I had hoped more of a bigger thematic story that would draw me into the reason why I'm moving cubes. But um, that might have been a, a bit too far here. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I mean it's better than some. You know, it's not it's not like Vitalisera to level of theming. But I wouldn't say it's sure. quite pasted on either. Like the mechanics make sense in context of the theme. So I I don't I don't have a problem with the theme. I just think it's kind of funky. Like and I'm happy he did it. This is great. It's not I I like when we're not just getting, you know, the same theme that he, like another roman sure. theme from Stefan Feld. I'm like you've done five of these. Let's do something different. Um uh so it's cool. It's different. Um definitely give me an aquasphere vibe in the weirdness. So sure. I'm, I'm happy with that. But it's they could have used another theme probably and you wouldn't notice too much like mechanic. Yeah so
1: yeah it's got an aquasphere luna kind of look to it so yeah no, I'm, I'm glad even if it's paste i'm sometimes i'm glad about the paste because it gives a little more flavor to it or at least a, a nicer look to it and i like the artwork here nice job yeah. all right so i want to talk about a solo game that i got to the table turns out that other people could play solo games and not just podcasters of, of what 250 episodes of solo games anthony <laughs> yeah
0: i I saw you put this on the spreadsheet i'm like how did you get to this before i did
1: (laughs) (laughs) so i want to talk about a solo game obviously the times demand it and i was able to get it to the table because it's just me and it's a solo game so i'm talking about under falling skies and again just from the look of the artwork here we have a sci-fi you know, genre trope where aliens are coming down to invade the Earth and you are humanity's last hope as this kind of Independence Day meets Space Invaders from like the 1970s and 1980s. So basically, the game itself is all about dice manipulation that you're going to utilize on a very long board. And the dice manipulation is going to be utilizing the dice in different columns. Now, when you place a die in a particular column, you'll have access to a number of different features. One of those features, the you know the, the air protection, could actually alter your dice, so it it makes that kind of like research and activity kind of you know a little more stabilized. That's that's your dice uh, mitigation technique. But there's also opportunities to research and basically you know war of the worlds kind of situation. If you want to f- defeat the alien menace. It comes down to science. So if you're able to raise the research track all the way to the top, you win the game. So throughout the game, you are being attacked. You are manipulating the dice in order to get the lower numbers. Because as you place dice on your board, again, for that anti-air defense or research or aircraft that will take down the baddies, think Independence Day the aliens are moving down their attack ships by the same pip level of the die that you place in that particular column. Mm-hmm. So a die has to go in each of the particular columns to, to be able to activate and gain your ability, but it also moves the ships down. And in fact, there are situations based when the ships move down, they might actually activate a move to the left or a move to the right, or they might move the mother ship down And when the mothership moves down, bad things happen because there's actually an endgame situation that happens if this big kind of cardboard ship moves down far enough, kind of like Space Invaders, hits a certain limit, and the game is over. So the ships are moving down. You're trying to take them out. There are explosions on the board that represent where the airplanes, fighters are attacking. You're trying to get the dice in the right spots to take out the ships And hopefully, again, to raise the research science level high enough that you're able to take out the mothership before it takes you out. Now, that's the base game. And the base game is fun. It's an interesting puzzle kind of tower defense game where you roll your dice and you do your best to kind of move them around and mitigate them. If you roll and place your white dice, then you get to roll your other gray dice again. So, oh, that's pretty cool. But the dice rolling, obviously, there's a lot of elements of chance and randomness as far as what dice you get, how the ships move, and where you place them. So you do have some control of how the game plays out, but then again, dice. Now, I should also mention that there is a whole campaign mode to this game. So not only is it kind of like a single board with your activation area and the the ships coming down, and the ships are nice, they're little plastic ships, but there's a story mode. There's a little graphic novel that comes along with it. And again, it's every sci-fi trope possible about aliens attacking the Earth. And you're moving your little rover to be able to dig out the tunnels to gain special abilities throughout the game. That will give you access to better and better abilities. But as the game goes on and you you kind of get through all the different scenarios, you'll get access to new cities that will give you special abilities And then as you play through and hopefully defend those cities, it wraps up in like a big, massive battle. I don't want to ruin it. There's a lot of spoilers here. So forgive me if I'm not giving you all the details. But throughout this kind of campaign, there are characters that come into play, additional cities that come into play, new rules that come into play. And the aliens become more and more interesting throughout the game. So Under Falling Skies gets a buy. It's a really nice priced game from CGE Games, and it's fun. It's a it's a good solo game. It kind of reminds me of a really solid app game that you actually get to the table. It has a very small footprint. Did you hear me tell it back? Small footprint, and yet it's still a great game. So uh, that's Under Falling
2: Skies. A great game. You should check that out. I actually uh, had a chance to play a prototype of that. Um, oh, Origins, Yeah, Origins... Uh, no, at Origins 2019, oh, um, someone was showing it uh, there at this, you know, they have that really nice CGE section yes. uh, at Origins. So I was there and I played it and uh, I, it was a little overwhelming for me to figure out how to play the game in that sort of environment uh, with people walking around and whatever. But I got it. I, I remember one of the most fun aspects thematically of it was that you were digging the tunnels. You mentioned that and I recalled that you're actually yeah. digging tunnels in order to make your research center bigger. So while somehow while you're in the middle of shooting down ships, you're also building structures, which didn't make a lot of sense with the timing of it. Like I just (laughs) shot two ships while building a building, Um, but it was great. And actually uh, while I was there, a little fun anecdote, Vlada Chivatal walked over and was asking questions about it. And I didn't know who it was at first. And I realized who it was. and I was like, Oh my God. Uh, And I said, Hey, you know, we designed a game together. Did you know that? And he goes, what? Who are you? And so, because we had done Star Trek Frontiers over email together. We had never met each other at any time. He goes, oh, yeah. So I took a picture with him. So, Oh,
1: that's and, awesome.
2: Yeah. So anyway, that I tried that Under Falling Skies game, and it was very cool. Um, and that was my favorite part, was the digging the tunnels while I'm fighting. We're building the actual infrastructure of our, of our facility.
1: So it's basically Space Invaders and somehow Dig Dug.
2: Yes, that's right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> all the '80s,
1: all these LA's trips you want in one board game, and it's very '80s. It's very '80s, '90s. Kind yeah, yeah. Of oh, alien yeah.
0: Alien definitely,
2: definitely. It's it's total space invaders, like that. Don't absolutely don't. They're coming down towards you, kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh man,
0: I gotta get this to the table. I actually have it sitting right next to my desk, like waiting to be played. And you're like,
1: you're talking about it.
0: Like, I gotta play this thing.
1: No, it's it's ah, there you go. No, nah, it's, it's a great game and, and definitely something to get to the table. You can kind of play it more than one player, but really it's a solo game. So, um, yeah, if you're home and you're looking for a solo game, I definitely recommend this. It's, a, you know, for someone who's not a solo gamer, it was something I was able to get to the table it's uh, pretty easy to figure out. A lot of the instructions are on the board, and once you get through that initial mission, then you really kind of like knock the other ones out pretty quickly. Although you can lose and continue to go because the game is hard. It is. It is an unforgiving game, which is good when you play a solo or a co-op game like this.
2: Yeah, I remember that when I when I just played the prototype, I was pretty much destroyed very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh, well, that's a thing. <laughs> You're supposed to let me win. It's a demo. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Stupid game. Nope.
1: It's a solo game. You got you to gotta lose. <laughs> all right. So that's everything that's hitting our table. If you'd like to find out more about our games, please hit all the board game channels out there. BoardGamersAnonymous.com has a huge number of written reviews, video reviews, and of course, Our podcast, 310 episodes there, every night is game night, talking about solo games. So obviously Anthony and Jason are there to tell you about everything that's great. So much content out there, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, we're everywhere that you want to be, so check us out. All right, everyone, so that's everything that's going on at our table. Let's get on to our feature review. So for our feature review this week, we are talking about the super hot games that are blazing hot in the cold winter days games that we want to get to the table and games that have moved themselves up on the hotness and our game guru, Anthony is going to let us know how those games made it there and why you might want to get those games to the table. All right, Anthony, what do you have for us this week?
0: All right, let's do it. Uh, so yeah, these are the games that are on uh, the BGG hotness. If you're watching this live, they may not exactly match up. I did pull these together last night. So late last night, Um, There could be a couple of updates in there, but you know how that is. Uh, So we're going to kick things off here. We're going to do the top 15, and um, my slideshow is in reverse. So we're going to go from the top down. (laughs) Usually count backwards, but number one. All right. Yes. Um, This is the new Xavier George's game from Quinn Ed. It is up on Kickstarter, Um, and it's actually up here on Board Game Arena, too. So they launched the beta for that day and date with the Kickstarter. So if you want to check it out, there it is. Um, this game, uh, it's, it's all about the life and times of, uh, Carnegie. And so it's, it's a lot of, it's industrial, it's economic, but it's also got some of the philanthropy mixed in there as well. Like you, you gain points by giving away the money as well as, so, you know, um, building up the industry. It looks really solid. It looks very interesting. It's obviously have a big Kickstarter right now. I'm personally on the fence with it cause it's so expensive, but I am very interested in playing this game.
1: Sure. Yeah, same here. I want to play this on board game arena, but as you mentioned, it's a lot of money and there's no necessarily like backing goals for it, so might wait until it hits market.
2: Yeah, the theme the theme looks really awesome too. I was I was taking a look at it as well. And uh I like the idea of the philanthropy being mixed in with the hardcore making money. So Definitely.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's one of the more interesting parts of it, I think. Um uh, next one up here on the list, uh, number two, as of yesterday, was Primal. Uh from, um, it's, I believe, going up on, oh, it's on Kickstarter now. That's, so that's why it's there. <laughs> it's a, like 1.5 million euros. So this is a big, fully cooperative monster hunting board game. So you've all these big monster miniatures and you are hunting them. So like, you know, think Monster Hunter, but it's not that IP. It is Primal, The Awakening. Um And so it it takes all the best things about Kickstarter, (laughs) giant miniatures of creatures, um, various bits of fighting, solo play, campaign play. Um, Very expensive, but uh, definitely building a nice audience for itself already.
1: Uh, You could utilize it with your uh, Castles of Mad King Ludwig because (laughs) it's about the same size scale. (laughs) You have the dragon raiding the castle.
0: Yeah. (laughs) All right, Ultimate Railroads. We talked about this a little bit last week. This is the um, all-in-one package from Hans and Gluck and hopefully, presumably, Z-Man Games uh, of Russian Railroads with German Railroads and American Railroads, and I think it's... What they call Asian, Asian Railroads? Asian Railroads, yep. Yep, yeah. and all the promos as well. So it is the mega box for the Railroads games. And these have been out of print for a fair amount of time. Um, I do have all the stuff, not including the new stuff, but I know a lot of people who do not, including you, right, Chris?
1: (laughs) I do not have German railroads and it's really been one of those kind of grail expansions because it makes the game so much better. So this is another one that's, has always been on my radar and I really hate to kind of replace literally everything that I currently own, which is everything but German, but I might have to do it because Ultimate Railroads, yeah, sounds good. I'm really hoping they
0: release the the new expansion separately because I have all this stuff. I don't want to pay $100 or whatever this is. uh... (laughs) Good luck with that, buddy. Good Good luck. luck. (laughs) A man could dream. Yeah, he can. I am dreaming. (laughs) Um, All right, Carpe Diem, and I believe this is the third edition, possibly the fourth. They've re-released this game a bunch of times in the two and a half years it's been out. Um, This is Stefan Feld's uh, game. It was nominated for i think the kenner spiel a couple years ago mm-hmm. and it's it's a really fantastic game I, it's like it snuck up on me it seemed very simple the first time i played it but the more i played it the more it, like dug in it's you know you're drafting these various tiles you're placing them in your tableau and you're trying to complete these different buildings and then the scoring mechanism at the end of the scoring rounds is amazing we have all these cards out and you place your token between two cards to score those two cards um if you cannot score them, though, if you have not accomplished them, you can lose points during the scoring round. And it's like a race to get those things because you know your position on another track will determine what order you get to choose those. Anyways, Carpe is great. This is a new version of it. It fixes a few problems with like the graphic design, which is hard to see. Um, it also changes their little star thing into just a normal rondelle because that's all it really is. Um, and it makes the game available again. So... <laughs> I do recommend this. Uh, it's it's a very good
1: Stefan Fell game. So we're seizing the game a fourth time, then. Yeah, a fourth. I think so. Okay. I think keep releasing no. it. Uh,
0: Dune Imperium. We just talked about this.
2: Ooh, uh, Dune. Dune. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been but number what? one. It's been number one for so many days that you know it's it's still on there. It's incredible.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, and and the fact like they released this and it was supposed to coincide with the movie and then the movie got delayed like 10 months or whatever it was and it doesn't matter people like dune game i don't care (laughs) like i don't need a movie
2: yeah a good dune game you know it's obviously we can't have a lot of dune games it's great that this one came out and i think a third dune game was just announced very recently right a bidding game or something like that different company yeah
1: so andrew do you like do you like this one or do you like the original one that was recently reprinted? I think it was by Gale Force Nine, the the original kind of Dune. I
2: actually have never played the original Dune. It's something I would oh, like no. to do. Yes. Yes. Yep. It's one of my great shames in life. I've never played it, so uh, I'd like to definitely get my hands on that. On that. Uh, maybe after I get through Kickstarter hell, uh, <laughs> then I'll be able to invest in something like that. So no, I, I am looking forward to, it, but I have not played it. Okay. Sounds good.
0: Yeah, it's a good year for Dune. Dwellings of Eldervale uh, from Luke Laurie. So this is a uh, Breaking Games. This was a Kickstarter a couple of years ago, and it shipped out in the fall to great acclaim. Um, we've unfortunately not had a chance to play this yet. It kind of missed our radar in the initial Kickstarter. But I really want to quite a bit, because Luke Laurie's games, all the ones I've played, have been amazing. So um, we talked about Whistle Mountain not too long ago. Energy Empire is one of our favorite games. Both of us it's on our top 100. So hopefully at some point this year, we get a chance to try this when it's actually in stock places and we can find it.
1: There was a limited number of copies at breaking games, but they were about 40 to $50 beyond the Kickstarter price. Mm. So if they might still have something available, if you want to pick that up, but yeah, this was again, this, this was another great game and I was literally looking forward to it, but it was, I think around a 150 $200 price tag at the time. So, and a lot of that, kind of upgraded kind of stuff that may not be necessary for the gameplay, but it's kind of hard to know if you want that stuff, not having played the game yet. Right. Yeah, that's fair.
0: Okay. Terraforming Mars, Ares Expedition. We talked about this a little tiny bit last week. We don't have a ton of details about it, but I believe there was an interview um, with uh, Sidney Engelstein and Nick Little on another podcast, and I don't have that in front of me right now. But they they did go through some of the details of the game in that it is it sounds a little almost like Race for the Galaxy to be honest like the way the tableau works and um, the card play, but w- it remains to be seen. There's not a ton of details out yet on the Kickstarter, um, which I would assume is coming out fairly soon based on the information that's coming out and the, you know the they're, they're running press on it.
2: Very cool. Yeah, it looks pretty looks pretty wild. I would love to have a card game version of Terraforming Mars just to be able to. Share the theme with people. Maybe if the other game is a little takes too long or a little more complicated. So I think this is a great idea for them to do that.
1: Yeah, it yeah. gets these games to to new markets, especially in Terraforming Mars. Like you said, with all the expansions, is is kind of obtuse, especially for a general audience. And you know, this might actually get it to the table and, and maybe even teach the game a little bit, teach the mechanics.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm really excited for that new artwork they're claiming, too. We'll see what that is.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You and me both.
0: (laughs) All right. Spirit Island. Uh, So this is when we start to get into some of the more evergreen games. Spirit Island, of course, is um, one of the top-rated games on BoardGameGeek and has been more or less since it came out. Um, Jagged Earth shipped in the fall, and I know that that's coming back into stock here and there. So that's probably a big part of this with the expansion. I agree, yeah. Um, but it's spirit Island. that's why its here.
2: <laughs> Have you played this Andrew? Have you played Spirit Island? I haven't yet, and it's also on my my list of shame oh it's It's a great game Things that I need really to play oh yes I, I hear it talked about all the time. yep, absolutely.
0: yeah, no, it's a spectacular one. Um, I haven't got a chance to play my jagged earth stuff yet. I need to get that out. like I picked that up. I was so excited. I packed it all into the box and then I put it back on the shelf. I'm like, why did I do that?
1: Mm. And the, the Steam impl- implementation of this is, is not bad. So if you want to be able to get to the table or the tablet pretty quickly, it's a good way.
0: Yeah. Um, Gloomhaven, Jaws of the Lion. Uh, so the first of our, our Gloomhaven references here. Um, this, this one came out last summer uh, in Target exclusively. I, I believe you can get it anywhere now. But it's Gloomhaven in a smaller box. So instead of spending 150, you could spend 50 and you get, you know, the 30 instead of 110 or whatever scenarios Um, can actually get through the game. And by all accounts, it's just as good. So uh, I do have a copy of this sitting around here somewhere too, and I have not quite gotten to yet Mm because but I'm excited to do it because the big one is just I'm never going to finish chewing that thing up. It's not going to happen.
2: Yeah, I still have my copy of Gloomhaven back here, so uh, yeah, it's it's going to take a long time to get through. So this is a good idea.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think I did twenty something scenarios, and I was like, I need to play at something else. Um, all right, next up is original terraforming Mars. <laughs>
1: <laughs> original recipe. Yeah,
0: yeah, I mean this ends up this happens a lot. These end up on the hotness because expansions or second releases or updated versions are coming out. Terraforming Mars right now. Doesn't have any new expansions on the immediate horizon, and their big box is still in fulfillment, but Ares Expedition was just announced, and then the Dice Game 2 is supposedly coming out this year on Kickstarter. So, that's um, a lot of Terraforming Mars in the discussion, so that's why we're going to see people looking at the base game as well. Very nice. Bloodborne, the board game. The only thing I know about this is the pictures people have been posting on Twitter of their stacks of boxes that are like five feet high from Simon. um this was a big old miniature fest you know one of those three four hundred dollar backing levels will give you 20 expansion boxes all full of miniatures and stuff i didn't really look at it i don't really know the ip i've never played the video game so this one flew right over my head when it came out but i know a lot of people right now are getting their copies and by all accounts it's a decent game i just i don't know anything about it otherwise
1: yeah, I'm not. I'm not a big Bloodborne fan too, but obviously the people who are, are just like ravenous about this.
0: Yeah, yeah, I know a friend locally who he went all in on it, and so he's he's very excited to be getting it. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, Lost Ruins of Arnok. This is a uh, the other CGE release you talked about, Under Falling Skies. This is their other one from the fall. Um, this one's been pretty hard to find too. It's been more or less out of print, you know, not out of print, but out of stock um, since it came out. And it is another game, actually, that uses deck building and worker placement. Um, it's a little more straightforward in that regard, just in terms of, you know, you have two workers, and that's it, and you place them out. Um, but the, the cards that you're going to build into your deck, they do a lot of different things. There's other actions you can take aside from the worker placement elements, so those are, like, the core of your turn, but there's a lot of other things you can do as well. I really, really liked this when I reviewed it. I gave it a buy rating. Um, I've been playing this solo a lot recently, and I like that even more, I think. So this game is very good if you get a chance to play it.
1: Yeah, this is, this is a great game. Again, one of those ideas that like you get to play Indiana Jones in a box. The production's really great here. Uh, CGE did a really nice job with this here. And it mixes the deck building and the worker placement elements, and that's really a lot of fun. Yep, absolutely.
0: All right, and Darwin's Journey also up on Kickstarter right now. I think it ends in a couple days. Uh, this is from Thunderglyph Games, Simone Luciani's new game with Nestor Mangone. Um, it's it looks beautiful. Has a lot of stretch goals already on there. So if you haven't checked it out already, I think you're running out of time to do so. But um, you know, it again we talked about themes being different. This is a unique, different theme, which I really like. I really appreciate what they're doing here.
2: Yeah, fact yeah, it is absolutely beautiful. Yeah
1: yeah i backed this too right up right from the start like you said an interesting theme great artwork great design and a ridiculous number of stretch goals i mean good for them that's a lot of stuff in a box
0: yeah all right and then uh tainted grail the fall of avalon this is another big box explosion thing from awakened realms um that i missed (laughs) so i don't it's hard there's so many of these like really expensive, big, sprawling things. And I hear such good things about them, but it's hard to, you know, especially in quarantine, like, find a, a space or a person or a way to play them or, or get to know them. But it looks interesting, and the theme looks, you know, different. Like a, a dark version of the Arthurian Legends.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Yeah. Uh, Gloomhaven. Big, big Daddy Gloomhaven. We talked about this a little bit. This one's always on the, the top. BGD hotness. If it, it's ever not, I'm going to be surprised. Like Maybe when Frosthaven comes out, it'll knock it off, but every time we do this, this is on here somewhere. Absolutely. Right, and that's it. Back to the top.
1: All right, so there is our BGD hotness for January 2021. But of course, there's going to be a new hotness that's going to be hitting the list again. So Andrew, once again, for our audience who's just joined us, for the people out there, on Twitch, the people out there on Board Game Arena, and all our podcast friends, um, let us know again, when will we will be seeing Kickstarter kind of blow up with uh, Core Worlds Empires and Nemesis?
2: Uh, it'll be on February the 2nd at 12 noon Eastern Standard Time. Uh, Core Worlds Empires, Core Worlds Nemesis, Core Worlds Empires once again is the standalone sequel to the original Core Worlds game. Um, different mechanisms, same universe. And uh, Core Worlds Nemesis is the solo, long-awaited solo, expansion to the original Core Worlds game. All right, so, so that's everything for this time. Until next time, this is Chris.
1: This is Anthony. And this is Andrew. And we'll save you all a seat at the table. Take care, everyone. Bye. See ya!